and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad that you've joined us today. A reinvigorated fight for racial justice has been one of the defining features of the past year. But while millions of people marched for black lives in 2020, vitriolic and racist rhetoric targeting another group of Americans was also on the rise. Phrases like the, quote, China virus and, quote, Kung flu targeting Asians and Asian Americans were being spread from the highest levels of government. Think about it. You heard both of those phrases come out of the mouth of the president of the United States last year. But it wasn't until last week that most of the nation began to pay closer attention to the kind of hate and discrimination that Asian American and Pacific Islanders face right here in our country. That's when a lone white gunman shot and killed eight people in Atlanta. Six of those killed were Asian women. Today, we want to start the hour talking with the first Asian American woman who was ever elected to the Michigan legislature. State Senator Stephanie Chang is a Democrat from Detroit who represents Michigan's first state Senate district. She's also someone who's been organizing in the Asian American community here in southeast Michigan and calling attention to anti-Asian racism for years. Senator Chang, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks so much for having me on. So uh, a recent report from the Center for the Study of Hate and Extremism at California State University San Bernardino says hate crimes against Asian Americans in 16 cities rose by 115 percent last year, 150 percent. And the group Asian Americans Advancing Justice says the actual number of reported incidents is probably much higher then we know. Let's start there. What What is going on that is, uh, that's fueling all of this? Yeah, well, thanks for that question. Um, you know, we, honestly, Asian American community leaders, elected officials, others have been, you know, actually talking about um, the anti-Asian rhetoric and um, hate crimes and discrimination during the COVID pandemic for, for over a year now. And um, like you mentioned earlier, I, I actually do think that, unfortunately, it took a mass shooting for most of America to realize that this was what was going on. Um, and so, you know, I think that some of it is, is, is the rhetoric. I think that it is harmful. Um, I also think that um, at the same time, this isn't new. Our country has experienced plenty of racism, including anti-Asian racism. Uh, it's part of our history. Um, and it's part of the history that we have to grapple with and learn from, um, you know, whether it was the Chinese Exclusion Act or Japanese-American internment uh, or any other, you know, type of racism that Asian-Americans, the yellow peril, you know, just so many things that, that Asian-Americans have experienced. Um, that I think is really intertwined with the struggles of other communities of color as well. So mm-hmm. racism is definitely not new. Right. Um, unfortunately, I think that it's bubbled up more towards the Asian American community over the past year. So you helped organize a rally in downtown Detroit last week to call attention to these issues. You had more than 100 people show up and you attended another rally late last week at, uh, at the University of Michigan uh, at their campus. Uh, there was a pretty important theme at these rallies that the uh, AAPI community has been trying for years to call attention to these issues, but that it's been difficult to get people to pay attention. 
Do you think people are shifting now because of the shooting in Atlanta, or do you still have an uphill struggle to get folks to focus on this? Yeah, well, you know, I think that there is growing attention, which is great. I do think that there, um, you know, it's really unfortunate uh, that it, again, it took, it took, you know, the murder of eight people to, to get most Americans to, to wake up to this. But I, I do think that there has been a renewed, um, you know, sense of urgency, even within the Asian American community um, and our allies and, and increasing awareness among others. So I think that's a good thing. I, I hope that this continues. Uh, one of the things that I think is really important to point out is that uh, Asian American women in particular over the past uh, couple of weeks have really been um, reliving, I think, a lot of um, experiences from going up and, uh, you know, the intersection between racism and sexism and, um, you know, fetishes and all of that type of thing has, uh, I think a lot of people have been resurfacing all of those memories, um, and sharing their stories and sharing, um, their pain, which I think is so important. Uh, I do recognize very much that there is a lot of healing that's still needed as well. Um, so, you know, I think that we serve, you know, it's been interesting over the past couple of weeks where I, you know, have a dual role of trying to really support Asian American community members and, you know, checking in on people, seeing how people are doing. Um, we, I helped organize a healing space virtually uh, with rising voices of Asian American families on Saturday. And that healing is just so needed right now. And then, and then the other role really has been to try to educate uh, the community at large about what's going on and uh, the fact that, you know, this isn't new and the fact that we have a long way to go uh, when it comes to anti-Asian racism, but also that it's so connected uh, to all the other struggles that communities of color face as well. Hmm. So it's been, it's been, it's been a pretty tough couple of weeks for a lot of us, but um, you know, we're, we're, I think that it's been amazing to just see the strength and resilience in the community um, and so many new people, I think, coming out to rallies that, you know, maybe you wouldn't have before. Um, and so I'm excited by that. Yeah. So you mentioned checking in on on people uh, in the Asian American community to see how they're doing. And that's one of the things that I'm not sure everybody always sort of uh, thinks of when these things happen is that even if the incidents that you know of aren't happening to people you know, they have an effect on them. So I want to stop here for a second and just ask you uh, how you're reacting to all of these. And if you can talk about how incidents like these uh, affect affect your your mental outlook uh, as, as an Asian American. Yeah, well, I think, you know, it's, uh, like I said, it's been a tough week. It's been a lot of ups and downs. You know, I think uh, for me and others, um, you know, the roller coaster of being so angry and, uh, you know, and learning so many more of the details about what happened in Georgia. Um, and then just feeling sad, I think, for uh, the fact that so many um, of my fellow Asian American women haven't really felt that they were um, okay to speak out um, in years past. And um, I think also just you know, but then also feeling inspired and excited by by the activism that is um, happening now. So it's been a roller coaster every day. <laughs> but, um, you know, one of the things that I, I think is just so amazing is, you know, the rally last Sunday 
just over a week ago, was organized by two uh, young women, uh, Sina and Zora, uh, one Asian-American woman and one black woman, who um, did such an amazing job organizing this event. I was so proud um, and so happy to see um, you know, them working together to make this happen. And it was just really inspiring. Um, but I do think that there is a lot of pain. You know, we hosted a healing session on Saturday, um, and it was so clear that I think that a lot of people need that space and that we haven't really made a space like that before uh, for Asian Americans to talk about experiences with racism and discrimination and how people are feeling right now. Um, and and it, it's, I think, really revealed how we need to probably create that type of space again on a more regular basis because um, folks are really going through a lot. Like you said, even though um, I don't know any of the people who were killed in Georgia, mm-hmm. um, I think it's it's brought back uh, memories for so many of us of, you know, being called different names growing up or, or you know, different issues, different incidents of harassment, different incidents with sexism. And I think that it it, it just came back for a lot of folks um, across the community. I mean, thankfully, um, you know, mass murder um, of Asian Americans isn't a frequent occurrence, but we, I think we do see, you know, the more subtle things that happen. But we've seen across this country, you know, physical assaults and verbal harassment. We've seen seniors, uh, elderly Asian Americans being shoved to the ground and hospitalized, mm-hmm. um, cut across the face, and it just just literally for walking down the street and being Asian American. And uh, I I think a lot of people are feeling very fearful about, uh, you know, where it will be safe for for people to be um, and what types of precautions we need to take. And um, so I think, you know, it's been, I think for many of us, a roller coaster of, you know, emotions of fear, anger, sadness, um, but then for me also, um, you know, feeling encouraged as well. Yeah. Yeah. I'm talking with state Senator Stephanie Chang, a Democrat from Detroit who represents Michigan's first state Senate district. She's also the first Asian American woman to be elected to the Michigan legislature. We're talking about the rise uh, in anti-Asian rhetoric and anti-Asian violence over Uh, The last 12 months as we've tried to get through the pandemic, we had no less than the president of the United States himself invoking awful uh, stereotypes uh, about uh, Asians and Asian Americans with reference to uh, the coronavirus and its origins. Uh, We've seen, unfortunately, that kind of behavior reflected uh, among too many other Americans, including uh, the recent shooting of six Asian women in Atlanta. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, give us a call. What do you make of that mass murder that took place last week in Atlanta? And what uh, what did it tell you about anti-Asian and Pacific Islander American discrimination and violence here in our country? We especially want to hear from you if you are a member of the Asian American community here in Michigan. What have you experienced in terms of the rhetoric or maybe the violence that we've seen on the rise since uh, we all have been dealing with uh, with the pandemic? Uh, also give us a call and tell us what you think needs to happen uh, to change that, uh, not just here in Southeast Michigan, 
but uh, around the country. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll try to uh, work you into the show uh, that way. Um, uh, Stephanie, I want to talk a little about uh, your journey in Lansing. Uh, as I've said a, f- a few times, you're the first uh, Asian-American uh, person uh, re- elected to our legislature. Um, everybody who experiences those kinds of firsts, at least in my experience, uh, experiences things that no one else has experienced before. It's uh, it's not always uh, just the easiest thing to do. Can you give us uh, just a sense of what, that, what that's been like uh, to be the first in our legislature? Yeah, well, thanks for that question. And, and um, there have been uh, other Asian American men before me, so the first Asian American uh, woman in the right. legislature. That's right. Yeah, and so so grateful that now um, we also have uh, Padma Kupa, um, who represents Troy, another Asian American woman, and actually now we have four Asian Americans in the state legislature, which is uh, pretty exciting with Ranjit Puri and Sri Tanadar as well. So there's four of us. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, I rep- as you know, I represent a district that. Um, there really aren't as many Asian Americans, um, so I'm a bit of an anomaly. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's been a journey because I, I definitely, um, you know, I have kind of multiple responsibilities in first and foremost serving my district, um, Detroit and Downriver, um, and also the responsibility to be a voice in, uh, for the Asian American community here in Michigan and to lift up issues that I know may not get lifted up in the same way uh, if I wasn't there. And so um, that has, I take that really seriously. I know that it's a, it's a big part of my responsibility, um, just as big um, in some ways by virtue of my racial identity um, as doing all of the work that I'm doing for my district on water affordability, on environmental justice and housing justice and so many other things. And um, so, you know, I try to work as hard as I can on all of the things that matter uh, to my district um, and also uh, be a voice for the Asian American community. Um, you know, I've had, you know, it's been six years now in the legislature and for the most part, it's been good. I think, um, again, there are um, lots of opportunities for for us to educate other lawmakers about what's going on in the Asian American community. We have a, a caucus where we include the, the four Asian American legislators as well as other legislators who represent uh, communities with large Asian American population. And so um, that's been actually really great um, to um, help connect people with Asian American community leaders in their district, um, lift up different issues that they might not otherwise be as familiar with. Um, and so, and then also just again to, to lift up issues that otherwise may not be lifted up. Um, I have experienced every now and then different, you know, comments or different things, mm-hmm. uh, less so from colleagues, although every now and then that happens, but, uh, but sometimes from residents in my district, um, you know, and uh, also in 2018 from a, from a primary opponent. Um, but I, you know, on, on the whole, um, people have been very, pretty welcoming. Um, and, uh, and I think that 
it's been an opportunity for, for, for us to learn from one another as well. So mm. um, I'm really proud to be in the legislature. I didn't run necessarily to be the first Asian American woman. I ran to serve my community. Um, but, um, you know, I am, I'm really proud to be there. And it's, it's a huge honor um, to be able to do this work on behalf of my district um, and also on behalf of the Asian American community. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue this conversation with State Senator Stephanie Chang. We'll get to your calls as well. Glenn in the Cass Corridor, Daniel in Detroit, we'll hear from you. If you want to join them on the phones, 313-577-1019 is the number here. Stay with us. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for joining. My guest is State Senator Stephanie Chang, a Democrat from Detroit who represents Michigan's first state Senate district. She is the first Asian-American woman to be elected to the Michigan legislature. We've been talking about the rise in uh, anti-Asian rhetoric and violence over the past year as we've dealt with the coronavirus and some really irresponsible actors have uh, have made it about uh, Asians and Asian Americans uh, falsely. Um, we also recently, of course, saw uh, the mass murder of Asian um, six Asian American women in Atlanta. Um, we're talking about that rise in hate and violence and what maybe should be done uh, to turn it back in the other direction. We want to hear from you as well. What do you think about what happened in Atlanta last week? What do you think about what's been happening over the past 12 months uh, as even the president of the United States has indulged uh, this this kind of uh, really uh, bigoted uh, rhetoric about uh, Asian Americans and the, and the coronavirus? Um, we especially would like to hear from you if you're a member of the Asian American or Pacific Islander community here in Southeast Michigan. Uh, how do these things land uh, on your ears and uh, on your heart? Um, we want to know what what you've experienced in uh, the last 12 months uh, as well. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work you into the conversation. Uh, let's start with Glenn in the Cass Corridor. Glenn, welcome to the show. Good morning. Good morning, Stephen and Stephanie. Stephen, I'm so glad that you're having this discussion. And I think we're so lucky that we have um, Stephanie right in our neighborhood to help in this area. And Stephanie, uh, this is Glenn from the First UU Church. I want to ask you as a white male, me being a white male, what can we do? How can we talk to our um, Asian American friends? Because I have other Asian American friends besides you, too, that I want to be able to talk and understand or do what I can do. Um, so I'm asking you, what, what what is the best thing we can do? Uh, Glenn, I really appreciate the call because I think that's one of the really important dimensions of this is the responsibility that those of us who are not part of the Asian American community uh, hold for pushing back against the things uh, that, that, that we see happening, uh, that that too often is 
uh, responsibility that doesn't get met, an <clears throat> obligation that that goes unmet. So, um, so I, I'm glad you called and and raised that, uh, uh, Senator Chang. Uh, respond to what Glenn's saying here. Yeah, Glenn, great to hear your voice. Hope you and your family are doing well. Um, I, I guess I would say a couple of things. I think that uh, there are really important ways for community, you know, people who aren't Asian American to to be in, involved and to support. So, you know, one thing that I think is so great is that um, there's a national group called the Asian, Amer- Asian Americans Advancing Justice um, that it has partnered with a group called HALA Back to host virtual bystander trainings as well as de-escalation trainings. Um, and so if you Google um, Asian Americans Advancing Justice Bystander Intervention Trainings, um, you'll be able to find uh, a number of their resources. I think that they have had to add more and more and more training since there's been so much interest across the country. Um, but it will teach folks about how to safely intervene when, you know, when it's appropriate to do so. Um, if you see, um, you know, discrimination or uh, some other type of hate incident that's going on. Um, so that type of bystander intervention training, I think, is really important, um, whether it's stepping in for the Asian American community or any other community that might be facing hate. So uh, that's one thing. I think the other thing that I would lift up is just, you know, how important it is that we continue to learn about each other's histories. And in particular, I don't, you know, we don't learn about Asian American history growing up in school mm-hmm. uh, here in Michigan. Maybe a couple mentions here and there, um, maybe Japanese American ter- internment, but we need to do a better job. Um, so as adults, uh, listening in, you know, learn, finding, making the time to, to learn about Asian American history and um, to understand um you know, the history of racism that our community has also experienced here. Um, so, you know, one book that I, I try to encourage people to read is by Helen Zia um, called Asian American Dreams. And it just does such a great job of, um, of pointing out and just enlightening people on um, various aspects of Asian American history. There's, some, there's a lot of other great books as well, but that's one that I would start with. And actually, as a high school student, uh, when I first read that book, it, it was a game changer for me and beginning to have a better understanding of, of my own community's history. Mm. Um, and then I think the third thing is, um, you know, if you know someone who has experienced a hate incident or discrimination, um, to really try to work with them and support them um, in asking, you know, what do you need? Um, but also to encourage them if they feel willing to, uh, to report it. Because we know that uh, many of these incidents are, being, are not being reported um, and so, you know, the attorney general has a hate crimes unit um, and their number is 313-456-0200. And the Michigan Department of Civil Rights has a hotline uh, for discrimination uh, complaints and their number is 1-800-482-3604. Um, and we, we know that sometimes people are afraid to report, um, don't know, don't trust what will happen if they report. Um, but I think it's really important that we encourage people to report um, so that we can get a better understanding of what's going on and also so that we can hold perpetrators accountable. Um, so, uh, you know, and those are two two really important agencies that, that I don't think are well enough resourced to be able to investigate hate crimes or discrimination. Um, so I'll be working in the coming weeks to um, see if we can get some more um, state dollars directed to those places using some of the COVID funding. That will be something I advocate for and uh, would welcome others' advocacy for as well. Yeah. Okay, uh, Glenn, again, thanks very much for the call uh, and, the, and the question.
Let's go to Daniel in Detroit. Daniel, welcome to the show. Uh, good morning, and good morning, Stephanie, my state senator. Um, I've been, you know, when when the issue came, quote came up again, uh, even though it's always been there, and I've worked on it, and sometimes myself with communities, and that is, you know, I get the question with with um, with discrimination and and hate crime. And also with the voting voter suppression thing, the question comes up as, have they no shame? Have we no shame? Or have they no shame? And, I, and I'm very, very frustrated. Um, uh, by the way, um, as she mentions Helen Zia, I was actually interviewed by Helen Zia when she was quite a young re- reporter for the Metro Times way back in 1982. Mm. She's good. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. yeah, go ahead, Stephanie. She's so great. Yeah, no, thank you. Um, so great to hear from a number of residents uh, from District 1 today. Um, you know, as you mentioned, the voter suppression bills cannot, you know, let us go further without explaining a little bit more about what that is and why it's so important. Um, you know, I think that a lot of folks are know what's going on in Georgia um, with the really just completely backward laws that they just recently passed um in in Georgia last week um the reality is is that there are actually hundreds of voter suppression bills around our country um and now 39 of them uh here in Michigan i should clarify though that actually uh clarify my statement not all 39 of them are bad i actually do think that some of these bills um are are good and i would support them but many of them are things that i just completely oppose because i know that they would um, dramatically decrease voter engagement and turnout and disproportionately impact um, black folks and other communities of color. And so that is, um, to me, that is voter suppression. When you are requiring voters to present photo ID uh, to submit an absentee ballot, um, well, that's a direct attack on, on folks who, you know, we saw increased turnout, historic turnout in 2020 mm-hmm. um, in the middle of a pandemic um, from all of our all of our communities across Michigan. And that is something that we should be applauding, something that we should be encouraging, not trying to dampen it down through voter suppression. So um, when you ask, have they no shame? You know, I, I it's frustrating. It's frustrating because. You know, in my heart, I do believe that many of my colleagues across the aisle are there to to do good. And so when they do things like this, it just really um, it's so disturbing and just very disappointing. Um, but but, you know, what? the voters have spoken in years past that they support increased access to the ballot. Um, so I'm hopeful that Michiganders will will rise up again and, and really um, let their lawmakers know that voter suppression bills are unacceptable, um, and we and we need to move forward instead of backward. So, so that's a nice segue into a deeper discussion about these these bills that uh, Republicans in Lansing are are trying to move. Um, uh, Republicans say this is about restoring confidence in our elections. They say that a lot. They sort of hint at the idea that there is fraud or potential fraud behind the expansion uh, of, of voting. Um, but of course, I think you can't talk about what's happening in Lansing right now without connecting it to what's going on in state houses around the country. These bills look an awful lot like the bills that uh, that were passed in Georgia. They look an awful lot like the bills that are being debated in in lots of other states. And so uh, I, I think you have to 
just acknowledge that Republicans feel threatened by the growth of uh, of of black and brown voters uh, in communities all over all over the United States. Absolutely. I agree. And, you know, on this piece about the disproportionate impact of these laws, um, you know, I, I had a person email me late last week. Um, you know, I had sent something out about the photo ID requirement and, um, you know, he, he disagreed with my statement and I, and I pointed him to um, uh, a great Bridge, Michigan article about how photo ID does disproportionately impact um, black people and poor people and elderly people. And um, there's a great Brennan Center report on this as well. Um, and, you know, I know that for some of us, you know, having a driver's license, having photo ID seems like such an easy thing, but it's not easy for everyone. Mm -hmm. And so when we talk about the photo ID requirement, um, if you're poor, if you're black, if you're older, um, you are less likely to have access to a photo ID. And I just want to make sure that everyone knows that that is a fact. I mean, it's been studied. It's, it's a fact. Um, and so when, when we're adding more requirements, um, it, to, to require someone to have photo ID, um, to submit something by mail, um, if you don't attach it or if you don't turn it in in person, I mean, that's going that's, that is going to mean hundreds of thousands of people in Michigan um, who might have their ballot rejected. And so I, I'm very much opposed to this idea. Um, I'm also really concerned about this um, this proposal to um, cut off the time on by which someone has to turn in their ballot to a drop box. Um, we should be encouraging people to to get their ballot in um, and in the safest way possible. And we saw that so many people used those draft boxes this past year uh, because of the COVID pandemic. Mm -hmm. But we should con continue to have those draft boxes and to allow that to be an opportunity for people to turn in their ballot by 8 o'clock on Election Day um, because we want to see the fullest participation possible. Um, so I'm really discouraged but um, by, you know, the fact that these bills were introduced, but we knew they were coming and we are ready and we're, we've been ready and we will we'll fight these in the legislature and we hope that Michiganders will join us in speaking up uh, about voting rights and for democracy. Um, you know, and you mentioned, you know, the fact that so much of this is based on um, this, this false narrative of election fraud. Well, election experts across the country, dozens of courts, uh, our own m audits that have been the most thorough in history have all shown that there was no vi widespread voter fraud. Mm -hmm. um, so we really, really, really need to uh, let folks know that this concept of massive voter fraud is just false. It's false. And anyone who is perpetuating that lie uh, needs to be held accountable and also needs to uh, really, you know, just stop. It's, 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 it's been so disappointing that it's March 29th. The election was months ago and still people are perpetuating this lie that the election was stolen when it's just false. Um, so it's frustrating, but we're, we're going to fight back as hard as we can. And, and we know that Michiganders will join us in that mm. fight. Uh, there's also concern that uh, this will turn into some sort of statewide petition initiative that would therefore avoid the governor's veto. The governor would not have to sign it if that uh, if that happened. What are you hearing about those efforts? Yeah, we've definitely heard about that. Um, one of the things that I I am will always just remind myself and others about is that 
Michiganders spoke in very loud, clear majorities in 2018 about mm-hmm. wanting to expand access to the ballot. Um, and now that we have that expanded access, that we I hope that if the, if it did go to some, you know, that people will just continue to speak up and organize um, and and not sign a petition like that um, to read every fine detail before you sign something that's presented to you, because that's a whole other thing that we have to work on, that people can lie um, to collect your signature. Um, and uh, and that we're, we really need to stand up for democracy. We've got to fight back on this narrative about election fraud, because we know it's just not true. We know it's not true. Um, and again, for those that are perpetuating that lie, um, they really need to stop. Uh, it's It's been months now. The election was clear and decisive, and uh, we need to we need to focus on actually increasing access to the ballot instead of restricting it. Mm. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Let's quickly go to John on the east side. Uh, John, you have a really good specific question here. Go ahead. Good morning. Uh, so, and I'm I'm in your district as well, and I miss seeing you at the meetings up at uh, the southeast waterfront. Uh, my question is, what would it take to get people picture IDs? Because that does hinder them from flying. That does. I have to show my ID to work in Little Caesars anymore, um, and I'm sure that's going to dramatically change post pandemic. So what would it take to get people picture IDs? Or are these people that don't want to have picture IDs is my question. It's a great question, John. And and I think one of the it raises an important uh, thought as well, which is that the action here has to be multidimensional, right? Uh, there, there does need to be an effort to make sure more people have proper ID, not just to be able to vote, but to be able to do lots of uh, of things. Uh, Senator Chang, can you can you speak to that? Yeah, no, that's a really great question. Thanks for that. Um, you know, sometimes if someone doesn't have, so just as an example, if someone grew up in the South, is an elderly uh, African-American person uh, and doesn't have a birth certificate, um, well, if that person needs that birth certificate to get an ID, it may be impossible. It may be or very, very difficult uh, to be able to get that photo ID. So we need to find ways to allow for folks like that to be able to get ID. Um, people who maybe are homeless or, um, you know, just just very poor um, and, you know, may not be able to have, you know, the maybe doesn't have the means uh, to be able to get to the Secretary of State's office, get the necessary paperwork, and then get back to the office to, to get that photo ID. Um, so I think that, you know, you raise a really good point in that we need to find ways to make it easier to get ID mm-hmm. um, while still making sure that we're very clear that you are who you are when you apply. Um, one of the things that I want to point out is that um, our Detroit City Council, um, I, I can't remember what year it was, um, with the leadership of Raquel Castaneda Lopez and Mary Sheffield, um, created a Detroit City ID. Uh, so I feel I think that, you know, that is the right approach of trying to create another, you know, Uh, as many opportunities as possible for people to get an official government photo ID. Um, That Detroit ID, uh, I have one. I, you know, I also have my driver's license, of course, but Mm I, uh, I, I, I got one because I think it's really great. I think it's a great idea to make sure that people can get that type of ID. Um, And so I hope that more cities uh, will be able to do that. Um, But actually while I'm on that point of municipal ID, um, you know, we've got, Detroit, we've got Washington County, we've got some other counties that have, um, you know, local IDs. 
Um, but we also need to change the law to allow those to be um, considered um, as proof of who you are um, for voting. And so I've introduced bills in the past to, to allow for that. Um, but we, we've got a long way to go. We've got a lot of work to do, both to increase access to the vote um, and also to help people get access uh, to that type of ID so that you're right, so that they can access other things as well. Yeah. Okay, State Senator Stephanie Chang, it was really great to have you with us for this conversation today. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. We're going to take another quick break, and when we come back, we'll take a deeper dive into this issue of voter suppression with a policy strategist from the ACLU of Michigan. We'll also continue to hear from you about these issues. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. You can also go to Facebook or Twitter, put comments there. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today.